So what's your story? I love to ask people this question. I know it gets as personal as you want it to. Probably more personal than most people around here would be comfortable with. Um, I'm a pretty open person. I also like to see where people take things, you know? The open-ended questions. Um, well, like I said, um, I was raised in many different small towns in southwest Missouri. Then in seventh grade, moved to Bentonville area. Mm -hmm. um, didn't really talk a lot about birth control. So I had my first daughter when I was 19. Um, with my first person and um, first serious relationship, all that good stuff. And then um, we were super codependent and didn't have a great kind of yeah. pattern um, and didn't know how to be alone, but didn't know how to really work things out together. We were very different. So I left and then he was my comfort. And then all of a sudden one single act of indiscretion and then I was having another child. So then I finally learned my lesson. Um, we ended things when my youngest of the two um, was eight months old. And um, then I bought my first house the next month in Bella Vista. Um, I was working like 60 hours a week at the home office. And basically I was, work was working there at least 60 hours a week every week for like months straight. Mm -hmm. um, had home ownership and like lawn maintenance to, to work through. And then I was also going to school like part-time or three-quarters time at NWAC. So I was just basically seeing the girls long enough to take them to the next sitter. And I just realized like this is no way to live. I didn't identify with the rat race of the area, even though I like mm -hmm. the opportunities for entertainment here, it still does not feel um, like a genuine representation of who I am and what I value mm -hmm. in this area um, because there's just so much consumerism as a priority and like what's the next best thing that we need to focus on yeah instead of just feeling that out for yourself and um so there's always a bandwagon that mm -hmm. everyone's like jump on you know um and i just i connect better in nature so um i moved out to um the east coast to north carolina where my best friend lisa lives and that was seven and a half years ago um, I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee for a little bit. I went to Georgia State University to finish my undergrad um, for linguistics in Atlanta, in downtown. That was a pretty wild experience, um, yeah. being in downtown Atlanta for classes every day and homelessness and crime rate and everything that you were getting notifications for on campus was like downtown Atlanta crime, right? And so you were like, nowhere is safe. You always had to be kind of watching yourself, but it yeah. was also really fun to see the diversity. And um, when I finished that, I went into teaching at a super nice, like, North Georgia, upper scale kind of, like, um, community school. And um, mm -hmm. I loved it. But again, I felt like I was kind of just trading one rat race for another. So I decided to move to Montana. And then last year, while I was in Montana, I loved it. It was beautiful. But the beauty of it felt hollow to me because I realized my people were in North Carolina yeah. and North Georgia. So I decided, you know what, Murphy, North Carolina is home for me. Yeah. And so I moved back and now I garden and I work at a domestic violence sexual assault shelter and I'm in grad school for teaching. And so I substitute teach when I'm not at the shelter. Yeah. And I do virtual sessions with one of my students that I nannied in Montana and then um, I help my sister clean the office sometimes and then we get time to talk and yeah, so it's good. So it's is that, really good. 
So is that shelter a, a volunteer thing or are you actually paid to do that? I'm paid. Sounds like not an amazing well. job. <laughs> not well. I'm well, not paid yeah. well. I mean, um, I'm sure they can't afford to no, pay No, that's you. why I yeah. can't demand it. And I didn't yeah. go into it for that, but it's fulfilling, you know? Like I find it an honor to be in, I, I find it an honor to hold space with people that are in a dark, a dark place in their lives. Yeah. So. It's just, it means a lot to me because I've been through a lot. So being able to sit through it with them mm -hmm. and to find ways for them to feel seen and inspired or, yeah. you know, safe or whatever they need. Like I find that that is fulfilling. And if I can make it, if I can make ends meet by putting four weird jobs together yeah. to make that work for now, then that's fine until I start teaching full time again. So, yeah. yeah. And then we go hiking a lot with our friends and I have game nights and stuff at my house and bonfires, you know, little bonfires and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, on our mountain and it's just wonderful so yeah that's that's my story in a nutshell <laughs> yep yeah that's awesome this I is love insane to see that Tucker. passion for helping people and yeah so many people probably most people just aren't comfortable helping people or even being around people who are down on their luck nope. and they, they just don't know what to do they, they they're usually very well-meaning they yeah. just they're afraid they don't understand it so they right make the easy choice and yeah turn the well, other way i think that that's one of the issues with mental health in general is that people don't know how to be comfortable with discomfort yeah and it's a part of life but whenever they try to run from it then they aren't really at their best and they also are not able to help others through it because they're not they're not okay with it for themselves either yeah i just see it as a part of life and I've been better off for the people who were able to sit with me in the discomfort of hard times. Yeah. And so I try to do that for others and bring people together as often as possible. Because it's important. I think we it need is. that. Thanks, Tucker. Yeah. That's kind of the whole point of, of what I'm doing here is just to help people, you know, help people see each other. And in this case, people get to see yeah. everything, but from a safe distance. Right. Which will hopefully in turn help them be more comfortable closing that distance a little bit. Absolutely, because we fear what we don't know or understand, yeah. right? And so the more that we become aware and enlightened of the normalcy of discomfort, the normalcy of differences, the normalcy of diversity, mm -hmm. um, then the more we're capable of embracing it and encouraging it and being a part of it. And yeah. yeah, I think that that's definitely what the world needs. I would say, an overused word Sometimes that we've same. all kind of been um, guilty of maybe using at different times is the word triggered, right? Yeah. Um, that's one that I feel like a lot of people have overused and mm -hmm. undervalued in the process, right? Yeah. So it no longer really has the same meaning, um, but yet the reaction yeah. that you have to certain things and being technically triggered um, mm -hmm. is still a thing that happens that's very real and causes anxiety. Um, so how do you think that word should be defined? Defined or used? Defined. We'll get to the used part later okay. on. Um, I believe that the word triggered should be defined as when an external stimulus um, causes an extreme rise or fall in mm -hmm. your kind of like status quo or your equilibrium within you. Mm -hmm. um, it can be an emotional response or more of a physiological response like PTSD sort of has. Um, but that's how I would define triggered. Okay. Yeah. How do you see it being used now? Um, 
when someone's simply a little bit surprised by something that someone says, they're like, I'm so triggered right now, right? But it doesn't really, yeah. it loses the value in, in a way um, by its overuse and it becoming just a mainstream, yeah. um, a mainstream expression. For sure. Yeah. How do you think it should be used? Um, I think that it should be used whenever you need to let people know that are closest to you. Um, in conjunction with words like I feel overstimulated right now or I feel overwhelmed right now. Mm -hmm. um, only because I think that it's important that we recognize the difference between serious reactions and experiences versus like I'm just simply surprised, right? Yeah. Um, I know that language, language evolves over time and the way that it's used um, is organic, right? So like, oh, yeah. and it's meant to be. I think yeah. that sometimes things are lost in mainstream culture um, when someone gets a hold of something and turns it into something that becomes yeah. so lighthearted that now whenever you need something to express something grave or serious or that has a more profound implication on what's happening around you, mm -hmm. it's harder to express that in simple words because those simple words are being kind of bastardized in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be hard to get used to those words and how they evolve sometimes when you're so yeah. used to it being used one way and suddenly people start right. using it another way. But it seems like most people around you are using it that way, so. Right, yeah. It is the majority that defines a word, so. Right, it is. Um, there is uh, a podcast that is all about the evolution of language, um, yeah. the mainstream linguist that became popular just talking about um, the changes of um, the phonology and meaning of words over time. And I mean, words are created, right? So therefore they yeah. are absolutely within the right to evolve and change mm -hmm. um, because they hold meaning um, within the context that they are used. And that's the whole purpose of language. Yeah. Um, I, again, just think that sometimes we lose something when people misuse certain terms or try to accommodate them to something that could probably be better served with a different word or yeah yeah so you said you're a linguist right yep my undergrad was in linguistics from georgia state university okay so why did you decide to do that um i love language and how it's used i love to um analyze the reason that people use certain words for certain contexts. I love the mm -hmm. variation of language use, even within just English, for example, yeah. across the United States, across a community. I like the idea that you can use language to um, hold power over someone or show um, submission to someone. Yeah. Um, the way that we, um, you know, do our R drop whenever we are talking to certain family members on the phone because we want them to feel more comfortable and at ease versus mm -hmm. whenever we enunciate to show no, I'm different, right? Like, it's interesting how people use that. And um, I didn't play sports, I, you know, did spelling bees. So like, language has always been near and dear to me as like a close friend. Yeah. And um, I enjoy language learning. So being able to expand the idea of linguistics and the study of language and how it's used and how it evolves Mm -hmm. And then applying that to like all these other languages, um, it just excites me to yeah. no end. And um, the way that you have so much knowledge and unique perspectives of the world and the way you interact with the world around you based on the way that your language is developed. Yeah. Right? Like, 
which things you prioritize in a sentence, right? Mm -hmm. Like where the nouns fall versus the adjectives and things like that. Um, it just fascinates me and yeah. I love it. And um, one day whenever I retire and my girls are completely grown and everything, then I will hopefully secure a position as a linguist eliciting dying languages in remote parts of the world. But that sounds cool. until then, I'm just certified to teach English as a foreign language in other countries. Yeah. So have you seen your knowledge of linguistics uh, affecting your day-to-day -day life and has it helped you be able to help people in your day-to-day -day life? It certainly has in the sense that um, finding ways to look at languages that I didn't even know existed um, has given me a newfound appreciation for languages that I didn't previously find um, phonetically pleasing <laughs> yeah. or just simply thinking more about the identity that is expressed through being able to recognize and hear your own language being spoken whenever you're visiting a country where it's not predominantly spoken. Mm -hmm. um, the way that someone can light up and feel seen by simply hearing something in their native tongue whenever they're so used to not being able to hear that. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's really allowed me to connect more with people that would otherwise maybe feel a little bit isolated or a little yeah. bit tamped down from who they are. Yeah, that's amazing. So do yeah. you know multiple languages then? I've studied Arabic. Um, I've studied French, of course. I studied Spanish at GSU as well as Arabic. Um, I've started to try to learn Russian a little bit just because I love the sound of it. Yeah, um, me too. It just sounds amazing. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's just one of those strong kind of badass languages that I uh, want to, I kind of hold it right up there with like knife throwing and <laughs> learning how to uh, be, become a ninja, you know? So yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I just love it. Yeah. Zdrasvitya is like my favorite word, even though it's one of the most like straightforward, simple ones, which is just hello, um, or privyet. But yeah, I feel like the consonant clusters come out more naturally for me actually in Russian than in Spanish, even though I've taken a few years of Spanish and only like yeah. a little bit on Mango app for Russian, so. Um, but yeah. the syllabary being completely different, you know, their alphabet being different, um, makes it a little more challenging because you're trying to learn the symbols as well yeah. as the words. So. Makes it a lot more challenging. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like copying down the entire alphabet on my like whiteboard and then trying to study it and commit to like a plan yeah. when life happens. So it takes a lot of diligence. but. Again, in that regard, as a linguist, you know, kind of going through the process of that as a language learner, but also being in classes um, where I had other students in there that were non-native English speakers studying the same thing I was and amazingly proficient at English. Mm -hmm. um, it, again, gives me a profound appreciation for those bilingual and polylingual speakers that have yeah. done the work that I have a hard time with the self-discipline for, even though I love the idea. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it just tells me like how much more committed they've yeah. been to learning whenever they've um, taken that time and, and really broken down the language. Oh yeah, I feel You know, the that. way our brains acquire our first language is completely different from every subsequent language. And it takes so much more explicit, focused study of a language and why we do the things we do that mm -hmm. we don't have to think about as a first language speaker. Um, yeah. And so I just have a, a deep appreciation and awe for everyone that can speak yeah. proficiently in another language. 
so. Yeah, I would love to know every language there is. Unfortunately, right. <laughs> I have I to pick and choose because it takes a lot of commitment. Yeah, so one of the questions I would ask my students when I was student teaching at the college level for a pronunciation class, and then I've also used it as a teacher when I taught at Woodstock Middle School in Georgia last school year um, for my non-native English speaking students, my ESOL students, was if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one ability, what would it be and why? And my own, because students would often want to know, is of course, like, I would want to be able to speak or learn any language, you know, within like 30 minutes, right? And be able be to like proficiently use it. Um, I would love that. But the, yeah. the main goal is I could see and interact with the world around me in profoundly different ways. Plus, I get to, I get to connect with the people that I'm speaking that with and they get to feel seen and I get to see more of who they are and their spark, you know? Yeah. So having traveled in Mexico, where I didn't hear a lot of English at times, you know, when I was visiting, um, because I had a more authentic experience when I taught there at a private bilingual school by staying with the host family. Um, I just remember feeling like, what? Did I, did I just hear English and getting so excited, even though I hated to admit it because I yeah. wanted to be there to be immersed in the Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, it was just an interesting kind of realization to me how much impact it makes on you to not hear your native tongue for so long that when you hear it, you're like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, you light up, so yeah. I'm glad that we got to talk today. Yeah, me too. Thank you very much. Yeah. I need to let you finish your ice cream. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pure chaos everywhere. over here. <laughs> <laughs>